as my little friend Spencer uh, each week has been transforming a simple piece of paper into something more beautiful and then unfolding it again, I want to remind you of the goal of our, of our season right now, and that's to forever change our understanding, to be constantly in a place of forever change and transformation. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of turn a corner towards Christmas as we're heading towards that direction. I want to remind you of just a couple of things. This year, our series is called Regift. And uh, when we think of re-gift, we think of a negative, right? Somebody gives us something we don't like, so we just stick it in another box, put a different name tag on it, and pass it on. But 1 Corinthians for, uh, chapter 15 specifically says one of the highest responsibilities we have as believers is to re-gift Jesus, the very gift that we received, to pass him on over and over and over and over again. So we're going to be, every single week, talking about uh, one of the beautiful parts of the Christmas story in which Jesus gives himself to us just so that we can hand him off to someone that we dearly love. And that's going to be the whole focus of it. So next week, we're going to transform the room. Uh, the wood shop in the back has been very, very busy. There's a lot of sawdust back there. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be warm. Heading towards December the 24th, Christmas Eve. Next week, uh, we're going to show you a really, really cool invitation mechanism that we're going to use. So hopefully, you can invite people to come along. And uh, it's, th that's going to be the whole goal is that you actually get an opportunity to see somebody that you know except Jesus Christ as their personal Savior at Christmas time. Christmas Eve services are at 2.34, 5.30, and 7. And December the 14th, we do a huge Christmas concert. Last year we did it, packed out the room, and uh, we call it the Collective, which is all different styles, all different genres of music. Pastor Mike and his team have been putting it together. It's going to be a great evening. I hope you'll come and just make sure that during the Christmas season, you use Christmas here at Christ the King. Is just step out of the rat race. Come and take a deep breath and, and, uh, and just enjoy your season and make sure that you don't miss out on Christmas as it comes crashing down in inside of us. So as we get ready to transition between Thanksgiving and Christmas season, I'm thankful today for a new identity in Christ. My old identity was broken, messed up. In fact, you could probably encapsulate it in the word mess. And in one of the darkest moments of my life, when, when Satan was spending a time just throwing my past in my face, you know, and covering me with labels, insecure, scared, weak, dishonest, people pleaser, and all that stuff that comes along. It was the context of Romans chapter 8 that helped me understand that the way I saw me was not the way that God saw me. And it was an unbelievable gift in that moment. And so today on this Thanksgiving weekend, I want to walk through the context of Romans chapter 8. We're going to hit the contextual piece in Romans 8, 28, because it's a verse that often gets misused, but we want to build hope this week as we head towards Christmas, because I don't know about you, but the thought of the God of the universe actually showing up on planet Earth in order to save people like us, that just seems to be unbelievably encouraging, Right? And so we're going to walk through this together. So as we open the book of Romans and we look at chapter 8, I want you to understand it's coming from the Apostle Paul, kind of rough around the edges kind of a guy, you know, called out as one of the greatest missionaries, and he's, he's writing to the church in Rome. It was not easy to be a Christian in Rome. I mean, two diametrically opposed kingdoms going on, and he begins to pour out our identity in Christ. So I'm going to make these personal for me. You can fill in the blanks, and here's the good news. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, everything that I'm going to say today that applies to me applies to you. So hopefully you'll be deeply encouraged. Let's get started. Then we can say this together. I am free. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I love those words to open the chapter. There's no condemnation, which means when God looks at me, he doesn't see me according to past failures. In fact, he sees me as the free man that he created me to be. The Bible says that it is for freedom, that Christ has set us free. And so if I'm free, I should live free, which means I'm no longer bound to my old way of life and I should live free in a new way of life. I'll tell you how I used to live my life. I used to live my life scared, scared of failure, scared of death. And I learned something. When you're scared of dying, you're also afraid of living. Those two go hand in hand. And one thing has changed. I'm still working on all these other areas when it comes to fear, but I'm not afraid of death anymore because the reality is this. If you're a follower in Christ, death is an upgrade. Can I get an amen from 1115? I mean, it's an upgrade, right? You leave, the, you leave the dirt suit behind and you get to go and fully enter into the presence of God. God's still working on the other fears, but we're making progress. According to Romans 8, I am aligned, verses 5 and 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind, mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. So when I'm in alignment with the Holy Spirit, there's one way to be able to prove that. I want what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit told us exactly what He wants for all of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And never more has the spirit of the fruit of the spirit been challenged than when you're standing in line at a Black Friday sale. Okay? So I, we went to the mall early on Friday morning. My girls went off and kind of did their thing. And I walked around collecting sermon illustrations for the rest of the year, right? And I'm just watching people, and it's amazing. People standing in lines, grabbing a hold of stuff, and you get to stand right in the middle of it and just smile at people and say my favorite three-letter response. Wow. It's in those moments when you're in alignment with the Holy Spirit, no matter what is happening around you, what pours out of your heart is life and peace. When I set my mind on things above, not on the things of this world, I'm in alignment with the Spirit. Let's keep going. According to Romans 8, I am controlled, not in a negative way, but in a positive way. Verse 9, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. That's strong language. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. The Bible says that in Romans 8. It also says this in Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Okay, That's just a big fancy word for, for being out of control. And then it says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, The Greek word for being filled is plerustha. Good word, all right? Plerustha means to be filled, controlled, intoxicated, permeated, thoroughly influenced. So when you've been affected by plerusta, it means you've been overcome by a power greater than yourself. As a believer, that power is the power of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If anything else controls you, if you are under the control or under the influence of anything other than Christ, Romans 8 would challenge you to take a deep, long look at your character and your integrity. I mean, think about it. You walked in this morning, and if you were smart, you were probably wearing gloves, right? On its own, you take off your glove and just lay it somewhere, it does nothing on its own. It'll just sit there. But when it's filled with your hand, it's a completely different story, right? The hand does all of the work. And exactly in that same way, the Holy Spirit comes into us and totally 
permeates us. When the glove is filled, now it's useful because it's being controlled by a power greater than itself. And that's exactly what it means here. Life in the Spirit means I'm controlled. Okay? Now, we all know this, right? We're not in control of anything. Anybody else figure that out, right? We're not in control of anything. But when we serve the one who's in control of everything, what flows out? Life and peace. Let's keep going. I am led, Romans 8, 13 and 14. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you'll die. But if you by the Spirit put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. So wherever God leads, when I'm in relationship with Him, I have an opportunity to follow. Where He leads, that's where we go. I tried leading myself for years. You know where I ended up? Lost. Like following Grant's GPS, his internal guidance system, not a good idea at all. But when Christ stepped in, I was able to identify something. When you're lost, you're disoriented. When you're disoriented, you don't know where home is. And in that moment, you need someone. You need someone who knows the way. You need someone who can do anything. You need someone who can go anywhere. I needed someone to lead me. This is my question. Are you leading yourself? Or are you being led by the same spirit that's described in Romans chapter 8? Let's keep going. I am confident. Romans 8.15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. I'm confident that God is able. Regardless of what I see splashed across newspapers or when I open up my computer, regardless of what I see on the exterior, I am confident that God is able, that God is powerful, and that God is love. And perfect love casts out all fear, which means this. I'm confident that in all things, God is more than able. Let me ask you that question. Where is your confidence? Is your confidence in your family structure? If so, how was Thanksgiving? <laughs> right? Are you confident in external forces that you think are actually going to lead you in a positive direction? I mean, I have learned this to be true over and over again. You've heard me say this many, many times. In times of great fear, people who are afraid gravitate towards those who are not afraid. You know what the number one question I've been getting over the last two to three months? You might be surprised what the question is. The question is this, Grant, what's going to happen if ISIS comes to America? Ah, thank you. You know, it's interesting to me that we see that as a fear-based reaction. And yet we know this. This is how I would answer the question. If what embodies fear comes here, it will be a glorious opportunity for the people of God to boldly stand and say, on Christ the solid rock we stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And I have no reason to fear because the perfect love of my Savior has pushed fear out of my heart. And I fear nothing because He is everything. Can I get an amen from somebody? Let's walk together, right? I mean, 2 Timothy says, God's not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. I got no confidence in this man at all, but I do have confidence in the man that I'm following. Let's keep going. I am adopted. Romans 8:15, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If you are a follower of Christ, you've been adopted into his family with the full rights and responsibilities of being one of God's children. I've got a friend 
who for years was embarrassed about being adopted, but now he kind of encapsulates his life journey this way. He says, I'm adopted. Your parents were stuck with you. My parents chose me, right? And as an adopted child of God, we understand that, right? We have been adopted into his family. This would have resonated with the Roman people. Let me tell you why. As a Roman person, if you had a bloodline child, you could actually disown them and leave them out of your family. But if you adopted a child, there was one rule that came with adoption. That child, once they were in your family, could never be disowned under any circumstance. Once you've been welcomed into the family of God, you're endowed with all of the rights and the responsibilities because he is your father and you are his child. You know, the Bible says we're all orphans, abandoned without hope, but God the Father chose us. Let's keep going. I am secure, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So according to my birth certificate, I'm the child of Ernie and Shirley Fishbook. That gives me a certain level of security. But more important than that, I am a child of the most high God. He's my father. I'm his son. He loves me even when I don't deserve it. He loves me and we are family. I'm secure in that identity, which means he gave it to me as a gift and no human being ever gets to steal that away from me. Let's keep going. I am identified. Romans 8, 17. Now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So when my parents, Ernie and Shirley, go home to heaven, I'm a co-heir with my sister Karen for their inheritance, unless of course they spend it all before we get any of it, okay? And if they do, praise God, I hope they just go for it, all right? Scripture says that because I'm a child of God, I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's crazy when you think about it, right? It means because I'm a co-heir with Christ, everything that's my father's is mine. Merry Christmas, right? That's good. Everything that my father has is mine, and he deeply desires, in the purest way possible, to pour that out on me as I live out my identity as his child. Let's keep going. I'm connected, Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with words that gro- or with groans that words cannot express. So, I'm almost out of words, Okay. I've been preaching for a day and a half. I've used up my maximum. I'm slowly, my brain is getting foggier as the moments are getting by. And it happens to me almost on a daily basis. I have enough words to get me to about two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I got to reload for a little while. I mean, it just comes with the way that I'm wired. When we are praying and we don't know what else to say, because we are overwhelmed with what is happening on this level playing field of life, when we run out of words The Holy Spirit begins to speak on our behalf. And He knows you. And He knows our heart. He knows your secret request. He knows the tear and the pain, if it may be there. He knows the song of your heart, if you're filled with nothing but gratitude. He has filled our heart. And when it spills over in whatever way, and we just don't know where to go, He steps in perfectly and fills in the request and bridges that beautiful gap between Father 
and child. In those moments, we literally are able to embody, right? The Bible says he is the vine and we are the branches, extensions, extensions of the God that we serve. Let's keep going. I'm purposed. Romans 8, 28, here it comes. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Here's where we're going to stop and talk context for just a moment, okay? This verse, when used out of context, can be dangerous and hurtful. It can be. When used in context, this is one of the most beautiful, comforting promises in your entire Bible. I have seen this verse do unbelievable damage to people. When it's been shared by an errant Christian, maybe even very well-intended, who walks into the middle of somebody else's pain, doesn't understand the depth of the pain, and throws this verse on top of their pain like they're trying to put a band-aid over top of a bullet hole. Maybe some of you have experienced it before. When someone loses a child, this is not a good verse to use because the pain is too great to see the truth. And we have, it just happens, right? It's just so flippantly. It's just kind of like, well, I know it really hurts, but all things work together for good. So just pick up yourself by the bootstraps and move on. Let's go. I mean, don't stay, don't stay where you are. You got to move on, right? So all things work together for good. Just work it through. When someone is struggling to see the good in anything, this verse applied incorrectly can cause an unbelievable deep wound. Now, don't misunderstand me. This verse is a beautiful promise. But I want you to understand the context. This verse is for a specific audience. This promise is for those, if you notice, who love him and are called according to his purpose. So that means, as hard as it may be to hear, if you don't love him, there's no guarantee that what you're going to go through can actually become something good or purposeful in your life. I just want to encourage everybody, when you use Romans 8.28, don't use it with the short view in mind. Use it with a a long view. This verse is best applied in the long view of life. It's best used in long retrospect. Some of the pain that I've gone through in my own life, years and years and years and years and years and years later, I'm able to turn around and look back on it now and then go, oh, okay, now I get it. But in the moment when you're overwhelmed and wrapped in it, sometimes it's difficult to see how God could possibly use this for good. I mean, this verse means that no matter what comes against us, because of who we are in Jesus, even the worst of what we will go through, ultimately, if we love God, will be transformed into a servant for our good. Did you get that? It may take some time. But if we are loving God and are following Him according to His purpose, no matter what it is, down the road, God can take whatever is swirling around us, causing us to be disheartened, and can actually flip it and turn it into a servant for our good. We did an entire series that we called Bent on the story of Joseph, right? And Joseph drove us a little crazy because he's going through all of these difficult times. He's in jail. He's accused of sexual immorality. I mean, his brothers try to kill him. And all the way through, the Bible keeps using this audacious little statement. But the Lord, his God, was with him. And we're all kind of looking at it going, it doesn't look like God's with him. He's in jail. His family's trying to kill him. He's being accused falsely. It doesn't look like God is with him. 
Until you get all the way to the end of the story and there's this beautiful moment when Joseph is standing face to face with the brothers who tried to kill him. And he says these amazing, powerful words, which I believe are the embodiment of Romans 8.28. This is what he says to the guys who tried to kill him. What you meant for evil, God used for good. What you meant for evil, over the years, God has completely transformed it. And now I can see it. Now I can bear witness to the fact that God has done a transformative work inside of me. Using all of the rough sandpaper of some of the most difficult life circumstances. Fiona Hutton is an amazing lady. She's the leader of our grief share ministry. Grief share is a place where you go when your heart's broken. And you meet with other people whose hearts are broken because of loss and death and tragedy. Fiona has an amazing story. She lost her husband to ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And then 18 months after she lost her husband, her son died in a terribly tragic accident. And Fiona and I, we were talking on the phone last week, and she told me her story one more time, how she was so overwhelmed with pain and with hopelessness. And she goes, I know they didn't mean to hurt me, but the pain was magnified by very well-intended people that tried to rush me through the grief process by saying, all things work together for good, so you can just move on now. All things work together for good. Fiona said, where I was after having lost my husband and my son, I thought to myself, that just can't be true. Because what good could God possibly bring out of this? Now, Fiona made an unbelievable decision. I've talked about this before. When tragedy hits us, we have a decision to make, right? God is either our most convenient enemy in those moments, or he's our most powerful ally. And we get to choose the role that he's going to play. So Fiona, instead of running from God... She ran towards God with all of her questions. With everything that was swirling around her, she went searching for an answer. And she said in the back of her mind, she kept hearing the bedrock promise of Romans 8.28. She used these words. It doesn't feel like it. But if it's true. But if it's true. Is it possible that out of my pain, good could actually come. And she started doing something. She started listening to other people's pain. She started sitting with those who were grieving. She, she said it to me. She goes, Grant, she goes, I learned the spiritual discipline of just sitting quietly and saying nothing and wiping tears. And we sometimes get in a lot of trouble as soon as we open our mouth, right? She goes, I would just sit there with them and listen she said, on my journey, I found a better verse just for this scenario. She goes, I wish someone would have come along to me and said, Fiona, do you know what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. She goes, I wish someone would have said that to me. You're blessed while you're mourning. God understands your hurt, and he's there. And he is the only one who can provide comfort. You know, today, all these years later, Fiona says, Romans 8.28 is what sustains me now. That's what I attach myself to. She goes, that verse is precious when it's claimed. She goes, you know why it's precious? She goes, I've lived it. I have lived it. And you know what Fiona does now? 
She leads a ministry for the brokenhearted. Because she knows over the long view, Romans 8.28 is absolutely, uncategorically true. It's miraculous. I put it in your outline this way. This verse is the bedrock promise of the human Christian experience. All right. Let's keep going with the context of Romans 8 as we get ready to wrap up here. Because of Romans 8, I can say I'm directed. Romans 8.30, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. We have all been called as followers of Christ in the direction of the cross. Because we all stand equal in need of a Savior at the foot of the cross. It was at the cross where Jesus took our sin and justified us. That's where we can stand before God Almighty himself and hear him make a declaration over top of us. Not guilty. Not guilty. And our response is to bring glory to him and never be higher than his feet. Let's keep going. I'm empowered. Romans 8.31. What shall we say then in response to all of this? So if you look at all of the I am statements and understand that Romans 8 is actually a summary of everything he said in Romans 1 through 7, you look at all of that and then he says, so what should we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a powerful question, right? It basically means this. What could possibly come against me in my life that Jesus can't handle? Many things that I can't handle. But what could possibly press in against me that the God of the universe who defeated death once and for all, the so-called most powerful force in the universe that was defeated by him, what could possibly come against me that he can't handle? That's a year's worth of messages in that verse all alone. Let's just keep going, right? Romans 8.32, I'm humbled. I'm humbled. You're not going to find that word in the verse, but what an unbelievable response. It says this, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You know, the reality is this. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So anybody that's got a sin problem, and that would be all of us, that's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. But God, and that's why I love Christmas so much, in his infinite love, gave Jesus up for all of us and longs to graciously give us every good thing that a father would want to give to a son or a daughter. The valuable, the priceless, the eternal. Let's keep going. I'm saturated. Romans 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, this is coming from a guy who is saturated in who Jesus created him to be. Former hitman who killed Christians recreationally and then has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, is transformed into the world's greatest missionary and is now writing a letter to a group of Christians in Rome. Not a great place to be a Christian at this time in history. And he's writing to them and, and they're And this is what I love about Paul. Everything that he writes here, that list of stuff, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword, it was not theoretical to him. He actually lived that. He went through all of that. I mean, it's so easy to read, but Paul lived all of it. Let me say it again. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, 
being buck naked, danger, the threat of violence, right? And none of it could separate him from the love of God. Can we have an honest moment? My check engine light comes on and I question the love of God. How about you, right? It's like God must love everybody else that's got a moving vehicle, but for some reason I got left on the side of the road, right? If my mocha is not 180 degrees, what am I questioning? I don't know. God loves me today, right? Not off to a good start. I mean, we, we, we are so, we have such a flimsy perspective on the love of God. But you know what is so cool? Not even the flimsy perspective keeps us from the love of God. Which leads us to the final couple of verses. Let's wrap up with this. I'm convinced. You can't convince me otherwise. Been there, done that. I know this in my heart. To quote my friend John, I know with a knowing. Listen to these words. Know in all of these things. We are more than conquerors. You know what I love about scripture? God never settles for just down here. He always gives you this, right? It doesn't say that we are just a conqueror. No, it says you're actually more than a conqueror. So conqueror plus. That's who we are when we understand our identity in Christ. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, I mean, what a promise, right? Not just a conqueror, more than a conqueror. Now, before you let it go to your head, I want to remind you of what it says, right? In all these things, we are more than conquerors. What are the next two words? Through him. We can't conquer anything. But when the conqueror of the universe, the conqueror of death, embodies and fills us like a glove, what could possibly stand against us that Jesus, the conqueror, cannot handle? So I got to ask some questions on this Thanksgiving weekend. Are you free? Are you aligned? Are you controlled and led and confident? Have you been adopted? Are you secure and identified and connected with the God of the universe? Have you been purposed? How about directed? How about empowered? Have you been humbled by the thought that everything that I've talked about this morning is how the God of the universe sees you? Are you humbled by that? Have you been so saturated with the word that if you got squeezed this week with a difficult circumstance, that what would drip out of the bottom of you would be life and peace? Are you absolutely convinced that everything that God says about you is true and in the proper context? So as we get ready to wrap up this weekend and we get ready to turn a corner, heading towards Christmas, I really do. I hope you'll come to Christmas this year, just step out of the rat race and come to be encouraged to see Jesus and to bring someone with you who may actually 
want to get to know the Jesus that you know. As we make this transition, I, I want to share something with you that my wife gave to me as a gift this past week. She reads a little devotional as part of her devotional life called Jesus Calling. Anybody know that one? Oh, there we go. Got some folks, right? She reads that. It, it, it speaks in a language that she just loves. And she shared something with me this week that, it, that has, it's just kind of stuck. So as we transition from thankfulness to understanding the fact that the God of the universe put on human flesh and came here looking for us, that as we bind those two thoughts together, that we could finish up today with these words. Thankfulness opens your heart to God's, and he's speaking in the first person here. Thankfulness opens your heart to my presence and your mind to my thoughts. You may still be in the same place with the same set of circumstances. But it's as if a light has been switched on, enabling you to see from my perspective. And it is the light of my perspective that removes the sting of adversity. May our church be a place where we see from God's perspective. Where we take the long view of His promises. Where we attach ourselves to the bedrock of every word that God said because that's what sustains us and gives us hope. May this be a place where brothers and sisters understand exactly who they are. Not who we say we are. But understand who he says we are. And then may we live to that new and identity. Understanding that that's the context of our life. That God has placed us. And where he promises to meet us. Would you pray with me this morning as we close? Lord, I thank you today for my spiritual family, Christ the King. I thank you for their love of you, their passion for you, their joy that comes from you. Lord, as we transition from Thanksgiving to Christmas, I pray that our heart of gratitude would continue every single day. Father, I pray that we would know how you see us and that we might choose to live to that true identity that you have for each one of us. Father, I pray and thank you for the promise of Romans 8.28. Lord, I thank you that it's true. I thank you that we can grab it and hold on to it as a promise. Lord, I thank you that for those who love you and are called according to your purpose, that you have promised that no matter what we're going through, Somehow, some way, you will miraculously use it and transform it into a servant for our good. God, thank you for Fiona's story. Thank you for how she's taken her heartbreak and now is being used by you in powerful ways. Father, for those who are hurting, pray that they would hold on to the beautiful words of Matthew chapter 5 spoken by Jesus blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted Lord we thank you for the comfort of knowing that Jesus came 
in the form of a tiny human child to bring hope to the world. And that that began the beautiful promise that finds its fulfillment in Romans 8. So Lord, as we contemplate you coming as a baby, may our hearts be full, may our identity be secure, and may our future be filled with joy. And we pray these things in the beautiful, matchless, wonderful name of Jesus. And all God's people said,